I appreciate that. Well, first, before I begin, I have to have my beautiful wife stand and wave to you guys, and so you know who she is. Um, we are Brick and Beth Cliff. A lot of times people introduce us quickly and it comes out as Bick and Breath Cliff, but that, do- that doesn't work. And because we're missionaries and we want you to remember who we are and remember our names, I'm going to help you remember our names, okay? So here's the deal. My real name, everyone says, where the heck did you get a name like Brick? Well, my middle name is Brickett. And uh, my first name, though, my real name is Sterling. But I go by Brick, and there's a reason for that. I was in high school going by the name Sterling, and I had an English teacher the previous year had had my brother Daryl as one of her students. And so she would confuse us when she'd call my name and she'd say, Sterile. So because I got tired of being called sterile, which all my friends greatly appreciated, I started going by brick. And that's why I'm a brick instead of a sterling or a sterile. So uh, maybe, maybe that'll help you remember who we are and remember our names just a bit. By the way, we have three kids. They're all grown, so I am not sterile. Or at least at one point I wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> but um, I, want, I want you to just imagine that, uh, and this isn't going to take too much imagination, that, that uh, Pastor Chris goes on a mission trip. In fact, we know he's going on one in uh, February to Costa Rica. But let's just pretend that he not only goes, but that uh, he brings with him the, the, the whole ministry team from the church. And, you know, just everybody who's doing ministry of significance here, the ones who are doing a lot of the stuff, the ones who really know ministry in the Bible. So they all get on the plane, they go to Costa Rica. And uh, later, uh, about uh, five days into the trip, you get a call. And, and Pastor Chris is like, you know, we really love you guys, but the ministry here is fantastic, and we're just not coming home. We're, we're just going to stay here. And uh, imagine if something like that were to happen. And so now, um, you've got to find somebody to be your pastor, but at the same time, just imagine that all of your prayers have been answered and that there's a, just a tremendous revival happening in New York and in the United States and churches are just popping up everywhere and churches are growing. And so you go looking for a pastor and guess what? There isn't anyone to find because they're in all the new churches. They're all in the churches that are growing. And so there's, there's nobody available. And so you finally, after talking and praying about it, you look around the church, nobody volunteers, and so you all put a number in a hat. And then you pray and you say, oh Lord, let the one that you want to be the pastor draw out their name. And they all, they, they, they put their hand in, they draw out a number, and guess what? What's your name? Chris, what's that? Rustam, you're the new pastor. Congratulations. <laughs> Everybody clap for Rustam. He is our, he's the new pastor. Uh, this Wednesday and next Sunday, you are going to be preaching and teaching. Um, there's a wedding coming up in two weeks. You'll be doing that. And there's an unexpected funeral also. No. <laughs> so imagine what it would be like if you were that person in that situation. And, and yet that's the kind of thing that we're finding all over the world that we're ministering to is that, here, here's a good example. How many of you have heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Have, have you heard of him? 
uh, just a tremendous evangelist. Uh, he's done a lot of work in Africa where he's had crusades with two million people attending in one day. And a number of times has had over one million people saved in one day. So you can imagine what's happening with that. Now, uh, we've been in Nairobi a lot. So imagine that happens in Nairobi. And so there's a lot of people who are going to be there who are from other cities, other villages, towns and stuff. And so they go back to wherever they're from. They're excited. They're on fire. They've seen miracles and the power of God. They start sharing with their family and with their friends. And before a few months have gone by, pretty soon they've got 20 new people who've come to Christ because of their fire and their witness. And another six months or a year goes by and there's 40 people now who've come to Christ and they realize, wait a minute, we've got so many people, we really ought to have a church. And so they start looking around, okay, where are we going to get a pastor for this church? Well, the problem is this is happening all over the country. There are no pastors. And so finally they say, they look at that guy who got saved first at the Bonky Crusade. They say, well, you've been a Christian longer than we have. You're our new pastor. Congratulations. And that's their training and that's their calling and that's it. So now here's this guy. He's now a pastor of 40, 50 people. Can he go to a Bible school? No because he has a family he's taking care of, he has a job, he has a church, and the Bible schools are 300 miles away, they cost too much and you'd have to go there for four years. So can you kind of imagine what it's like? And we, as missionaries, we've been missionaries now over 30 years, we've seen this all over the world. Now you'd think, okay, well they just don't know quite what they should, that's okay. Well, you know, here's, here's what happened to us our first couple months in Congo as Elam missionaries been there for about two months, and some missionaries from a different group came to me, and they said, you know what, Brick? You seem like a really good guy. Why are you working with a cult? I said, I'm not working with a cult. They said, you are working with a cult. I'm not, you are. And finally, so I did some investigation, and guess what? We were working with a cult. But here's the incredible thing. It was started by an Elam missionary. And what happened was the Elam missionary, after starting it, a year later passed away and a national took it forward that Congolese man, tremendous evangelism and anointing, but no teaching, no knowledge of the word of God. And he went from one church to 3,000 in a period of about 30 years, but there were no missionaries and no training. And so they had all kinds of weird teaching. In fact, in another group with a similar history, um, I was driving to the church that I was pastoring while I was there and um, there was a whole bunch, there's like 50 men meeting under a tree. And they are all wearing white robes. And I'm like, I'm asking my translator, like, who are these guys? What are they? And he says, oh, these are, these are the Kimbongoists. He says, they, uh, they, if they baptize someone, they do, it under, uh, they do it under a flag instead of in water. They wear these robes. And, and they believe that their founder is the Holy Spirit and that his two sons are the other part of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. Now they began as Christians, evangelical Baptists, but with no teaching and with no knowledge of the Word of God, they just went in some really, really weird places. And so it, it, it matters whether you get the Word of God after you come to salvation. It matters if you're discipled or not. So what do you do with people all over the world, which is about 90% of the pastors, who can't be trained, but are hungry for it and desperately need it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, thank you. Um, here's, here's what we've done. We have spent the last 10 years filming courses 
all the typical courses you would find in a really good Bible school like Elam or something like that. And so we now have filmed over 150 courses. We think, have things like youth ministry, uh, Acts of the Apostles, dynamic biblical preaching, foundations of evangelism, ministering to Muslims, and the list just goes on and on. Picture each of these as a Bible school course on DVD. It goes all the way up to the ceiling and beyond. That's what we filmed. But here's where things get really awesome. How many of you know what this guy is? It's an SD card. Yeah, it's inside of a little plastic guy, but it's an SD card. Do you know that we can put our full Bible school on an SD card? All four years will fit on an SD card. I'm talking DVD, video, and audio. We can stick it on an SD card. Can you imagine that brings the price down of uh, getting training out to people? It makes it a little bit easier. Um, next thing is, do you have any idea what this guy is? This is a video projector. This video projector uh, can be played anywhere in the world. And all you have to do to play our Bible school is stick the SD card in this video projector and you've got the video and the audio. You say, well, wait a minute, but what about if you go to places that there's no electricity, which we do a lot of? Okay, that's all right, we're ready for that. You know what this is? This is a solar panel, fold-up solar panel. You can get a lot of these in your luggage if you want to. Um, and what it does is it charges this nice little battery, this is the same battery you would use to charge your cell phone, it will play that projector for about 10 hours. So we have gotten the technology to miniaturize and take a complete four-year Bible school program on DVD around the world to any country in the world that we want to or need to. And by the way, if it happens that you already, they already have a television, this little guy right here, will play into any television, projector, computer, or monitor in the world. Just stick an SD card in it and play it into whatever it is, and you've got a full Bible college. And so that's the kind of thing that we're doing. Um, every single semester, there's notes, homework assignments, quizzes, tests. It's a complete school. We've, uh, we've got it, and there's an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree that people can work on. And so we're, we've, we've got it going. In fact, let's uh, go up. Uh, I want to show you some stuff in the PowerPoint real quick about what we're doing. So again, there's some of the materials. That represents about a year out of the four years. Um, ten years of filming, thousands of hours, creating a four-year Bible college. Next uh, slide, if you would. Some of the equipment you just saw. Next slide. Um, this is one of our classes. We have over 3,000 pastors and students uh, in 20 countries now. And this, for example, is uh, in South Sudan, where we have uh, over 300 pastors in school right, right at this point. And to give you an idea of how hungry people are around the world for the word of God, these guys um, in South Sudan, there's a civil war going on. And uh, right in the middle of the civil war, it spilled over into the capital, Juba, where these guys were meeting for school. And it was time for their uh, semester final for semester five. You know that in the midst of all the shooting and all the fighting, they all risked their lives to go to class to take the final so that they could go on to the next semester. That's the kind of hunger and commitment that we found. Um, go on to the next slide, if you would. Um, right now, we've got, we're in 20 countries, four continents, 3,000 students, mostly pastors and evangelists, 
and mostly people who would never, in, un, under any other circumstances, be able to attend a traditional Bible school, uh, college because of money, time, job, family, church. Um, next slide, if you would. Um, if you look at this map, the places in Burgundy are where we have schools. The, the pinker color is where we have courses, but not a formal school. And all the green places are where we have community development courses going, uh, but without uh, our regular program, because we have that in more languages. Go on to the next uh, slide, if you would. Uh, one of the other fun things about this is that you can meet anywhere. We've got people meeting under trees, meeting in homes, meeting in churches, meeting in Bible colleges. doesn't matter. Uh, you can meet anywhere for our school because it, it's so portable. Go on to the next slide, if you would. Um, in two weeks, I leave for East Africa, taking a team of uh, 10 with me. First, we go to South Sudan, and we're having, actually, it was, this is old. We have 210 graduating in South Sudan. Then we go into Nairobi with about 200 graduating, and then Arusha, Tanzania with about 350 graduating. So in a period of eight days, we're going to see over 700 pastors graduate from the school with, uh, with four years of training. Um, go on to the next one, if you would. This is our very first graduation two years ago in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, we had over 500 pastors graduate. We had over 3,000 people who were at the, uh, ser at the service there as we did it. Um, go on to the next slide, if you would. The other thing that's really exciting about this, um, Pastor Chris will know Bishop Moffat. He's an Elam uh, bishop over 3,000 churches in Kenya. What we're finding is that the, the nationals are so excited about this that they're actually traveling on their own at their own expense and initiative to other countries starting our nation-to-nation -nation schools for us. So like Bishop Moffat went to Ethiopia and to Burundi and to Congo and other places to start schools. Um, and even uh, when they get there, some of these uh, nationals are putting the school on, at their own initiative into their own languages, like uh, the ones in Ethiopia now are working on an Amharic translation. Um, go on to the next slide if you would. The other thing that's really worth important to mention is that in, the, in this filming, we also filmed three semesters worth of uh, community development materials with doctors, dentists, agriculturalists, nutritionists. So we have stuff like this. And <clears throat> what it does is a lot of things that we take for granted are not known around the world. Now, if I were to say to you, after church, I'm going to show a half-hour video on clean toilets. How many of you would ex get excited and stay? Not, not a whole lot of people. And that doesn't sound very significant, does it? <clears throat> but at our graduation, uh, two years ago in Nairobi, one of the pastors came to me and he said, you know what? He said, in our community, we have had terrible problems with blindness and with stomach, stomach sickness. And he said, we watched your video on clean toilets or latrines. And we realized from the video that what was happening is that flies were multiplying in our outhouses and then they were carrying sickness and carrying blindness and landing, landing on our children's eyes and faces causing the blindness. And your video said that all we had to do was just take the, the uh, ashes from our charcoal fires, pour them in the toilet on top of the poo in the outhouse, and then the flies couldn't breed, and that would be the end of all the sickness and blindness. He said, so we started doing it. We got our community to do it. He said, we have no more blindness, and we have hardly any sickness, uh, stomach sickness now. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. <clears throat> and we have, we have literally filmed hundreds of hours 
of things like this that are the things that are needed in the developing world to lift them out of poverty and disease, also including micro-businesses and things. If you go on to the next slide, another one that we did that's very exciting is called the Moringa tree. If you Google it, you can also find it under the Miracle Tree because the, the uh, seeds of this tree purify water so that the people can have pure drinking water and not get sick from that. But the leaves of the tree, when you add it to your food, take you from being malnourished and sickly to having very good nutrition and being very healthy. I'm going to the next slide, if you would. In fact, the pastor at one of, the, at one of our graduates came to me and he said, yeah, he said, <clears throat> I watched that one on the Moringa tree and then I realized, wait a minute, we have that growing all around us. We just thought it was a shrub. He said, so we, I started using it. I started using the seeds and, and uh, for the water. And I was able to have pure water without spending all kinds of money on bleach or boiling it. And he said, and I saw the thing on the leaves. And so I started giving it to my kids. And then I realized it was so good that I could <clears throat> sell it in the market. And I started selling it. He said, now my kids are health, the healthiest and fattest they've ever been. And I have money to send them to school for the first time. You know, and, and it's just a half hour video about a tree, you know, and we've got hundreds of those things that are tremendously life changing. Go on to the next slide, if you would. Um, another place that we're working besides in many different countries with pastors is we're working in refugee camps. And uh, this is Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya. We have 110 students there, mostly pastors. And um, these are actually... Uh, most of the people we're working with are the survivors and the siblings and children of martyrs, Christian martyrs. Because in South Sudan, two million people, Christians, were martyred by the Muslims in the north. It's the largest genocide since World War II, and it took place against the Christians there. So we're working with the families of martyrs. And, and again, seeing tremendous results as they learn these things. Go on to the next slide, if you would. So if you, want, if you happen to want to be involved, it's 360 actually provides the equipment to start a school. We've got five refugee camps, Kenya, Uganda, South Sudan, and Malawi waiting for schools. And in uh, two weeks, we're leaving uh, to Africa, taking a team of 10. We're wanting to bring in 25 new schools. So for 360, we don't have the money for all the schools yet. So if anyone wants to get involved, that would be really awesome because we want to make this trip count and do all we can for the people in these refugee camps and then in a lot of countries that have been asking for the schools. So, okay, I'd like to switch gears. And I'd like to look at the Word of God together. I'd like you to go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. <clears throat> and... Uh, in, in Romans 10, 13 to 15, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save unless them unless they believe in him? How can they believe unless they've heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Um, it really excites me to see what you guys are doing here with I Love Warsaw. You know, being witnesses where you are in Warsaw and having that, that emphasis going. Uh, I remember when we first were in Congo, there was a missionary, a new missionary coming to visit. His name was John. And John was on the plane on the way to Congo. 
and there's a Congolese man sitting next to him and he wanted to witness to him, but he couldn't because he didn't know the language. And so, uh, but he had learned three words. He'd learned Yesu, Alingi, Yo. Okay, turn to the person beside you and say, Yesu, Alingi, Yo. Okay, raise your hand if you think you got it, if you think you did well with it. Really, just that few? Come on, get your hand up if you think you got it. We need, we need to know, okay. Because the ones who did well on it, you are the ones who are called to be missionaries, just in case you didn't know. Um, the ones who didn't raise their hand, you're the ones who are called to support the other ones when they go on their mission trips. So, so he turned to the guy beside him, and I guess I bet you can guess what that means, right? Jesus loves you in Lingala. So he turned to the side, guy beside him, he said, Yesu Alingi Yo. That was the beginning and that was the end of the conversation and the beginning of the end of him witnessing to him. And so, okay, that was the end of it. Six months later, John was in Kinshasa, the capital with us, walking down the street. And by that time, he'd learned a lot of Lingala. And a man came up to him and he said, do you remember me? And John's like, oh, sorry, I don't know who you are. He said, well, we met on the plane. He said, and you said to me, Jesus loves you. And that got me interested, and so I started going to church, and I got saved, and I just want you to know that I'm saved now. Yeah, isn't that cool? <clears throat> you know, you just never know when something that you say or do can be that little thing that God uses to bring somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, the, uh, one of the things we understand about life is that somebody's final words, the last thing that they say before they die or before they leave and you never see them again, uh, those words are important. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have the final recorded words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven, before he leaves the disciples. And here's what he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want to talk this morning for a few minutes about you will be my witnesses. We are called by Jesus Christ to be witnesses. And, and I want to talk about some crucial reasons to do that. And the first one is this, eternity is at stake eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell are real. Um, sometimes, I don't know how it is for you, but for myself, I get wrapped up in my life. I get wrapped up in my ministry. I get busy. I get focused. And it's very easy to kind of leave God to the side, even if I'm in ministry, looking more at the ministry than at the God of the ministry, if, if you understand what I mean. And so sometimes I like to just back up and, and just remind myself, just center on God, not on me or my ministry or what I'm doing, but just center on God. And one of the ways I like to do that is just considering his creation. And uh, I, I have a question for you. Do you have any idea how many stars there are, how many planets there are? Does anyone have any idea? Okay, here, here's, here's the fun number. It's 10 to the 24th power. What that means is 10 followed by 24 zeros represents the number of planets there are. Now, they actually keep adding to that number because every time they get a better uh, telescope that can see further, they find that there's more than they thought there, there were. But to try to wrap our minds around this, picture 
the beach that you like to go to, whatever beach that you like to go to, picture all of the sand on that beach and then multiply that by all of the beaches in the whole world and all of the sand on all of the beaches. And when you think of all of the sand on all of the beaches, now you're starting to get a little bit of an idea of how many planets there are. But the reason I'm mentioning this especially is if you were to go to that beach that you like and if you were to pick up one grain of sand and then compare it to all of the sand on that and all the other beaches, what you would be holding in your hand with that little grain of sand is your lifetime compared to eternity. Just, just to, you know, we, we're so wrapped up in our lives on this world, not understanding that in terms of eternity, it's one grain of sand out of a whole planet's worth of sand and oceans and beaches. And, and so it, it's, it's important to try to wrap our minds around this. Um, I was at a church a while back. There's a woman who's 85 years old. She had gone into cardiac arrest and for 15 minutes was dead. And, and she had a near-death experience. She was revived later on at the hospital. But when she, when she saw me in church, she came to talk to me and she told me about it. And she told me how she had died and she had gone to heaven. And she was in a, a meadow and it was just brilliant greens and colors and she was on a white horse, and then another white horse came from a distance, had a rider on it, and it was her son who had died a few years earlier. And she was so joyful and happy to see her son, but she said, Where, where's dad? Where's your father? And, and he said to her, well, he's here, but it's not your time to stay here, so you're not going to see him this time. And the next thing she knew, she was back in her body and, and in the hospital. But it was a life-changing experience for her as she experienced the reality of heaven. You know, John, uh, in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus answered, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Pastor Chris can tell you that one of the greatest challenges in ministry is when you have to do the funeral of somebody who, to the best of your knowledge, did not have a faith in Christ someone who wasn't saved. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And I remember talking to my home pastor about this when I was young and new in ministry. And he said, how do you do that? And uh, he said, well, he said, the first thing that you have to remember is that funerals are for the living and not for the dead. Um, it's the living that you're trying to minister to. And he said, you know what I usually say? He said, um, if the guy's name was Fred, what I, what I say in the funerals, I said, Fred's there in the coffin, he's dead. Fred is dead. Um, but he is in eternity now. And he knows the reality of eternity. And he knows the reality of heaven and hell. And if Fred could come back here right now and talk to you, I know what he would say. He would say to you, heaven and hell are real places. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you will go to an eternity of heaven. And uh, my pastor said to me, he says, it doesn't matter which place they went. That is what they would say. And, and, that's, and that's true. I mean, once you're in eternity and realize the reality of it, uh, you're going to be very serious about that. Um, the, uh, another reason why it's so significant to be involved in witnessing is understanding that heaven and eternity are by far the greater reality 
the thing that's truly, truly real. Now, I have a question for you. Do you remember the story in the Bible where the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples are all in a room together, doors are locked, windows are locked, and Jesus comes walking into the room. Do you remember that story? Here's my question. Did Jesus walk through the door, or did the door go through Jesus? Do Do you hear the question? In other words, in that story, there's something that's kind of like mist, that a lot of people think that like angels or the heaven or whatever, it's kind of like this mist and it's spirit and it's, it's cloudy and it's like Jesus was like this mist that could go through a door. Well, may I suggest to you that according to the Bible, what really is true is that the door was the mist and Jesus had the greater reality and could go right through it. And in fact, the Bible says things like that. The Bible says that our lives are like a mist that disappears when the sun comes up. The Bible also says that this life, uh, especially talking about the temple, is just the temple in Jerusalem was only a shadow of the real temple that was in heaven. And and the, uh, the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we see as through a glass darkly. Now, when my uh, grandmother was, uh, she lived to be 101, and she was in good health, but by the time she was uh, 101, you've probably seen and experienced this, her mind had faded. She was still there, but it had faded. She wasn't all there. It was, it was like she's, it's like when you don't have enough sleep, you know, sleep-deprived day when you're trying to survive and go through the day. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about, where You try to experience life and everything around you, but it just seems like there's a cloud and a mist and a fog. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had those days? Well, may I suggest to you that all of our days are that compared to the reality of heaven and eternity, which is why all the people you hear who have these near-death experiences, so often they describe things that are brilliant colors and a light that's, not, that's so bright you can't even describe it. And, the, and Paul talks about, I was in the heavens and I saw things that are indescribable. See, that's, that's the reality of eternity and of heaven. And in fact, um, there was a time when um, my daughter Sarah had an experience with the Holy Spirit and was filled with joy and she was laughing and then crying and then laughing and then crying for about an hour. And it really took us by surprise because we were just at our house when this happened. And finally, when it was over, we said, Sarah, what happened? She said, God has just filled me with so much joy, I don't even know how to express it. And about a week later, she was in doing her homework because we were homeschooled, she was on the mission field. And all of a sudden, she started laughing. We're like, Sarah, why are you laughing? She says, because whenever I remember that time, I get filled with the Holy Spirit's joy all over again. But, but can I tell you that what she was experiencing, as wonderful as it was, was just the smallest taste of eternity and of heaven and of the joy and love that God has. In fact, when I first got to Africa in the Congo, I had a shortwave radio and it was 110, but the current there was 220, and I forgot to put the adapter in place, and I plugged it in, and I turned it on, and for 30 seconds, it was awesome. It was loud and clear and crystal clear, and, and then there was smoke and fire, and that was the end, because 
110 cannot handle 220. And in the same way, the Bible says that this body that we're currently in can't handle the presence of God. It can't handle what's in eternity and in heaven. The love that's stored up for us and the joy that's stored up with for us and the beauty that is stored up for us. You know, um, the, the Bible, I, I love being here in the fall. We're, we're living in Texas on the Mexico border, but I love to be here, here in the fall and see the beauty of the leaves and the different waterfalls that we have here in New York and so on. But you know, all the beauty that we see is only a reflection of his beauty. And, and the Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy. You know, in this earth, we have limited joy, but in his presence is fullness of joy. And so we want to be God's witnesses, bringing others to Christ so that they can enter into the greater reality that it's ahead for all of us and represents such a greater period of time than what we're used to. Another reason to be involved is this, that we're, we're living during the greatest harvest of all human history. You know, my, my daughter and son-in-law work in China as missionaries. And what's happening in China, there's now over 100 million Christians. For every person who's born, five people are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that the church is growing at five times the rate of the population? I mentioned to you Bonkey's Crusades with over a million being saved in a day. I know people working in Brazil and they go from village to village, and as fast as they go to these villages, whole villages are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And even in some of what we consider to be the most impossible and difficult uh, peoples and situations, do you know that we're having the greatest harvest of all time for Muslims? Do you know that around the world, conservatively, it's estimated that there are 10 million Muslims now who have put their faith in Christ? Here in the United States, there's close to half a million former Muslims who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and there's books written by all these Muslims about how you know, they're just going about their life and then Jesus appears to them in a dream or a vision and, they, and tells them to go talk to somebody somewhere, uh, names a person and a place and they go there and it's a Christian and they hear the gospel and they get saved and it's exploding. The gospel is exploding even among the Muslims. My home pastor was in Florida. He was in a park sitting on a bench. There was a woman across from him. He handed her a tract. She looked at the tract. She smiled and she says, Thank you, I don't need it though because I'm a Christian too. And then she gave her testimony. She was a Muslim from the Middle East. Jesus had appeared to her in a dream and she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. I only have to go as far as my pastor to find somebody who's got that story. We are living in the most exciting time of all history to be involved in being a witness for Jesus Christ. Um, the next reason is very simple. And this one, I think it really hits home. I think it's so, so important. To avoid losing our next generation here in the United States. To avoid losing your children and your grandchildren. You see, the kids of my kids' generation and the next generation down they're looking for things, they're looking for causes, they're looking for something that means something. They're looking for something to be passionate about in life. 
Uh, in fact, I was just reading a story that just happened recently. If you can imagine this, listen to this. Activists at the University of California at Berkeley got naked on Saturday to show their love for nearby trees that authorities are planning to cut down. About 50 people showed up at a grove of eucalyptus trees and stripped off their clothes. The nudity was organized as part of an effort to take pictures of naked people to raise awareness of the critical role trees play in our lives. Would anyone like to sign up? <laughs> Let's get naked and hug a tree. Um, and, and yet we look around us and we see people devoting their lives to causes that don't have the eternal significance. We see the uh, save the earth and save the whales and, and uh, save the trees and uh, whatever it is. I know uh, one of my daughter's friends, her life is dedicated to frogs. And it's a certain species of frogs and saving those frogs. And I say more power to her, but, but there's people and there's eternity and there's be my witness and there's Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know about you, but I want to see my children and I want to see my grandchildren come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I want them to have a burning passion for the lost and for Christ. But, but here's the problem. If you don't have a burning passion, they won't have a burning passion. If it's not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. It's only if you burn that they'll burn with that same love and desire and passion. And so because of the next generation, we need to make this something that's so important to us that people around us, especially our families, get it and they know. Another reason is this, to be witnesses, is to live out our calling and our destiny. You know, I've heard this said to many people, you know, one of the reasons you feel empty is because there's a God-shaped vacuum in you, and until that's filled, you're going to feel empty. And that's true. But I know many Christians who've gotten that God-shaped vacuum filled, and they still feel empty. And the reason is very simple, and that is, is that you can fill the vacuum, but there's another vacuum, and that vacuum is called your destiny. It's called what you were created for. There is a place in us, we were made to be people of eternal significance and to impact and influence and witness to the people around us. And if we don't have a passion inside of us for those who are lost and for Christ, we will have an emptiness inside of us. Um, we, where we live, the water comes out of the Rio Grande River, very dirty water, you wouldn't want to drink it, so you have to, we go to these, what they're called, water mills, and uh, you take a big five-gallon jug with you, and it's got a little hole in the top, and you put it under, and it fills it up with water. Um, the problem is, is that they make them kind of poorly, and so it's easy to get the jug in the wrong place, and the next thing you know, the water is going half in the bottle and half all over the sides and all over the place. Well, in the same way, if you want to have God's love, joy, peace, purpose, if you want to fulfill fulfilled as a person, you've got to get lined up with the blessing and with the joy and with the meaning and the purpose that's coming down. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're not lined up with your destiny and with the purposes God has for your life, much of what he has for you just is to go over the surface and onto the ground and onto the floor. 
We have to line up with what God created us to do if we're going to have his joy and passion and peace and love in our hearts the way that we want it to, to be. Um, in fact, there's a man I know who's a Christian, but he was kind of a lukewarm Christian. Recently, some things happened in his life that were very negative, but the positive side was for the first time in years, he started praying and seeking God and reading the Bible and getting passionate about Christ and witnessing. And now, despite those circumstances, he's happier than he's ever been because he's finally lined up with how the water's flowing and it's filling him up. Um, we've, we've got to get that lined up. The next reason, and um, I'm close to closing now, is this. And that is because of joy. Because of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, talking about his salvation experience. I want to tell you a story from our own lives. Um, it was about, uh, I think, seven years or so ago. Um, our daughter at that time was a single missionary in China. We hadn't seen her in a long time, um, and we were getting the whole family together for Thanksgiving, but she couldn't come, but she was coming for Christmas. She was going to be able to come about six weeks later for Christmas. So we were very excited and happy about that. But we were able to get our two sons together. And one of, we were in Michigan at the time, so we were flying our son in from Texas to be with us there for Thanksgiving in Michigan. So I go to the airport to pick up Benjamin. And uh, he comes out to the car and he says, Dad, he said, there's this woman who needs our help. She's pregnant and she's having contractions and she doesn't have any money and she needs to get to emergency. And I'm like, I'm like, do I look like an ambulance to you? you know, I'm like, I don't remember where the hospital even is. Well, this woman comes over and she is, oh man, she's pregnant. And she's, but at the same time, she's really weird looking because it was nighttime and she had glasses on. And, and she had tattoos down both of her arms, and I'm, I'm not picking on you guys with tattoos, but I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, but between the sunglasses and the clothing she was wearing and the tattoos, and she looked like two things, one like a bimbo, and two like she was kind of dangerous, like, she's, this is weird, I don't get this, and so my son's like, yeah, we've, she, she needs our help, we've got to get her there, and then she starts talking to me, and she has a southern accent, and she's saying, sir, you've really got to help me, I've got to get to the hospital, and I'm thinking, something is wrong with this picture. And I'm thinking, is she dangerous? If she gets in the car with us, is she going to have a gun? You know, what, what, what is going on here? And then after about five minutes of this, I notice my son Benjamin out of the corner of my eye. and He's got this little smirk on his face, this little smile. I'm saying, wait a minute. The cousins are trying to pull some kind of a joke on me. This must be one of my, uh, my uh, nieces. And so I'm thinking, okay, which one of my nieces could this be? And so I'm thinking about it for about 30 seconds. And then I just started laughing. And I started laughing with joy. It wasn't a niece. It was my daughter, Sarah, from China. She had come back without telling us. And her cousin helped her put on a pregnant suit and put on a blonde wig. And spe I mean, she just didn't look anything like her. And there she was. I didn't think I was going to see her until Christmas. And here's my daughter home. And I just began laughing for joy. It, it was the funniest and jo most joyful experience of my, my whole life. Now, just so you know, it didn't end there. There's no way I was going to let that happen to me and not to my wife. So I... <laughs> 
I called up Beth on the phone. I said, "Hun, I said, I don't know what to tell you, but we were on the way home and there was this woman by the side of the road and her car was broken down and she's pregnant and she needs, she's having contractions and we need to do something for her, but I don't know what. And, and uh, Beth's like, <laughs> you know, she, she doesn't know what to make of it. And so I said, well, we're going to be there really soon. So just be prepared to give me some advice or tell me what to do or whatever. So Beth, Beth told me later on, she's thinking, why don't you take her to the hospital? Why are you bringing her here? What do you expect me to do? And then Beth gets real spiritual like she is. And she started praying, oh, Lord, help us to be a blessing to this woman. <laughs> so we get there. And uh, I come in. I introduce this woman to, to my wife. For five minutes, my wife did not recognize her own daughter. It was awesome. <laughs> and, then, and then she got it too and just began crying and laughing. You know, I, this, this is the, reason, the, the last reason I'm talking about heaven is joy. Joy. You know, my mom went there three years ago and I'm looking forward to seeing her. My dad went there before that. I, the longer you live, the more friends you got there and the, more than what you got here. And, and, I, and I want you to know that we want every one of us, I want you to get there with joy to see all your family, all of your relatives and your children and your grandchildren and so many others. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. We'll have his joy and we'll have the joy of being surrounded by the people that we know and that we love and that we have cared about during our lifetimes. I want to just ask you to stand for a moment and I want to just close with prayer and then I'll have the pastor come up. Father, I just thank you for each and every person who's here today. Lord, we thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. And Father, there's so many here right now they have loved ones who they want to see saved. They have friends, neighbors, relatives they want to see saved. And, and Father, I just ask right now that you would help every one of us to be your witnesses. I pray, Father, not only that we would be your witnesses, but we would be the answer to other people's prayers who are needing someone in their family saved. And I pray that they would be the answer to our prayers when we need somebody saved. And Father, I just pray for an anointing on the pastor and leaders of this church to lead this church into a place where they are such an influence in Warsaw and in this area that it's uncommon to find somebody who's not saved. I just pray for an incredible working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, a revival, an anointing, a pouring out of your spirit that in this place, that this would become a church full of life and full of water mills and, and full of salvation and that the people in this town and in this area would we receive your salvation, your love, your peace, your joy. Lord, make us witnesses. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your purpose and passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you guys.